Welcome to Psych in the City podcast, where sexual fantasies meet sexual realities. Join me as I learn and unlearn with the help of expert guests and friends, all the weird stuff we've been taught about our sexual and psychological selves. Through exposure, education, and conversation, Psych in the City hopes to reduce stigma around mental health and sexuality. I'm a licensed social worker training to become a clinical sex therapist and educator. I love learning about sex, human behavior, and psychology, and believe that having access to education and quality information is a human right. Not to mention, it enables us to make informed choices about the lives we live. This is Psych in the City. Hello and welcome back to Psych in the City. I'm your host, Sarah Kelleher. Today, I'm really excited about this episode. I'm speaking with Lena Dune. Lena runs the extremely informative Instagram page at Ask a Sub. Her page is blowing up and I have learned so much from her work regarding BDSM. I think her page is getting so much love from people because it is so informative and also does an excellent job of not pathologizing kink and BDSM in general. Her Patreon is also amazing, and at the end of this episode, we'll shout out her page and her Patreon and where you can learn more. For this episode, we are going to be talking about BDSM and kink, and more so the psychological components or experiences within BDSM. In no way is this all-encompassing, but more of like a 101. Kink and BDSM practices have long been pathologized in the field of psychology, psychiatry, and many other areas of study. Pathologized means that something is regarded or treated as psychologically abnormal or unhealthy. Not to mention kink and BDSM practices are definitely never discussed within sex education. The latest edition of the DSM-5, basically the diagnostic Bible of the psychiatry and psychological community, this is the first rendition released in May 2013 that marked that these behaviors and desires in and of themselves were not necessarily able to justify or require clinical intervention. The new caveat in the DSM-5 is that these behaviors must be causing a person distress. And this distress related to these behaviors is what constitutes a clinical diagnosis. It's really difficult to find someone who has zero feelings about their sexuality. This shame and weirdness and uncomfortability is learned. The way we feel about sex and certain practices are related to the time period that we live in, the culture we grew up in, and the social norms of the time. These things are constantly changing. Until the 1970s, homosexuality was listed as a mental disorder in an earlier iteration of the DSM. I think culturally and clinically, we're extremely quick to diagnose a behavior and emotions get way too involved in our assessments. Is this behavior actually hurting anyone? Is this behavior truly problematic? Or were we just told we're supposed to think that? This is Psychicity. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you so much for coming. So to you define yourself in your Instagram bio as 
a bisexual 24-7 collared submissive who practices sane and healing BDSM. Let's break this down. What does that mean for everyone, for listeners? What does it mean to you? Yeah, so um, it's essentially being a 24-7 collared submissive, which is a lot to break down. Um, I, I I talk about dom-sub relationships um, on Instagram, and, and I write um, advice for people who are also in dom-sub relationships or playing with BDSM themes or want to get more into that world. So um, uh, 24-7 is sort of at, at another end of the spectrum where you, um, you essentially are in a committed relationship, um, committed in not necessarily monogamous sense, but in terms of a emotional reciprocity sense. And um, you've agreed to live by the boundaries, rules, and um, general uh, vibe of, of, a, of a dom-sub dynamic, but um, not just when you play in the bedroom, but through the rest of your life. Um, and that may sound uh, extreme. <laughs> so um, I, I always take an approach of that sane and healing BDSM, that BDSM is not just sexy whips and chains, not just, um, you know, wild fantasy scenarios, but actually a framework that can be really helpful for people of all kinds, you know, people recovering from sexual trauma, for instance, who want to um, explore sexual themes in a sort of safe and structured way. And so that's, that's what I'm out here selling on the internet <laughs> with my, um, also with, with memes. So <laughs> yeah, you're a meme queen. Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about yourself in anything that you want to share, like maybe how you started to experiment with PDSM, what made you want to start the Ask a Sub page, why is this work important to you, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, so the work um, really blossomed out of my own initial research around BDSM when I um, was first beginning to sub in a serious way. I found a lot of the information available online to be very off-putting um, because there's sort of, um, and I don't know how much your listeners have, have been, you know, extensively Googling things like, you know, calling your partner daddy or being cuffed and, you know, chained up and et cetera, et cetera. And there's sort of this tone once you get into research on these topics where where the authors of pieces are so invested in maintaining this sort of fantasy energy that it can be really difficult to actually figure out where the truth lies and, and mm -hmm. how these things might actually feel for um, someone practicing them. And, you know, I, I joke that like, I wanted a resource that would tell me how to go get my, you know, my butt spanked, paddled, and beaten, and then um, take my bruised ass and sit in an office chair at my nine to five the next morning. And so looking for that kind of thing, I couldn't find it. So I just sort of gently, slowly became it. Um, and now, uh, yeah, I'm definitely connecting to a lot of people um, in terms of helping them feel the same way, like sort of a normalized, comfortable BDSM, if you will. Yeah. I have found in my minimal research that sometimes the language, it's a little bit above and beyond the 101. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of overwhelming for someone that is not experienced or is not familiar with some of the nuances of things. And, and, you know, for a, a an initial starter, it, it, I find myself being like, 
whoa, like, I don't know. I don't even know where to start, you know? Yeah. There's a, it, it's an information overload that makes you feel like you couldn't possibly know enough to do it safely. And that's, that's why yes. a lot of people are really confused. They're like, well, there's, I have to know everything about safely executing cock and ball torture before I can even be. And it's like, no, <laughs> it's, right. it's possible to become an expert on yourself within this field. And I think that there's a lot of pressure to become an expert on everything before you begin. And that's mm-hmm. not uh, necessary. <laughs> Yeah, it does feel like that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is teaching others now something that you do professionally or did the page kind of just start and you started to enjoy it and now it's become more of a thing? Yeah, initially um, it was something that I did when I had a um, really unfulfilling, boring, sad office job um, <laughs> where I would sort of get out all of my extra energy, like making these memes every day um, and slowly it blossomed and blossomed into this thing where I noticed that there was just this sort of appetite for what I was, you know, selling essentially, but not charging for. And then, <laughs> and then as um, COVID hit, I was laid off from my sad and boring office job. And so for the last, oh my God, however long we've been in here since March or so, I've been, I've made it my full-time thing. And I do make um, money off of a, a Patreon account where people subscribe to, um, read weekly um, advice columns and then write in their specific questions and then I'll give them these long form essays um, sort of going through every detail of stuff from like you know how do I figure out what my limits are if I've never played with things all the way up Mm -hmm. to like how can I root out my codependent tendencies in a DS dynamic so a lot of range on what goes on in there. So kind of a dear Lena of sorts. Yes. <laughs> the ask a sub of, of ask a sub. Yeah. <laughs> the asking. <laughs> right. right. So BDSM 101, I want to break it down to, to as if I'm an alien and I've never <laughs> heard this term before. And I want, you know, BDSM 101, the absolute basics. Basically, I want to go through, you know, you posted a story that I found really useful about, Mm -hmm. I think it was entitled BDSM 101. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me BDSM 101. I'm an alien. I just landed here. (laughs) What, 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 what are the need to know? Yes. First of all, welcome to earth. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. This is your first exposure to human culture. (laughs) Um, No, so BDSM is an acronym um, that stands for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. And um, it is used more broadly um, sort of as an umbrella term encompassing anything um, that we deem as kinky. So a lot of people hear the word kink and they think, Maybe they think spanking, maybe they think choking, maybe they think, you know, name calling, dirty talk. But what it essentially means is anything um, that is considered outside of the societal norm of sex, which is um, completely uh, objective and, or subjective and changing over time. So what we consider kinky now, um, for example, you know, 2020, uh, I'd say um, back in the 90s or 2000s, like things may have been like eating ass, for example, has gained this extreme level of normalization. Uh, But I think that that definitely would have been considered a kink 10 or five years ago. Um, 
So, but BDSM has taken on a life of its own, hasn't it? It's really <laughs> snowballed and honestly great. <laughs> um, I think all things should be normalized if they're not hurting anybody. But right. um, yeah. So um, once I get going on acronyms, it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so BDSM is that umbrella term that encompasses kink behavior, but gives it a framework for how it should be safely practiced. So. Um, Essentially, the structure of BDSM is negotiation, scene, aftercare, um, which are, you know, you can't talk about this stuff without getting into a bunch of jargon, but it, it's, it's all easily broken down because the negotiation is just talking about what's going to happen before it happens and saying, I'm okay with this stuff, I'm okay, not okay with this stuff, and should we stumble into ter territory by accident where I'm not comfortable, I'll call a safe word, and then the scene is where it all happens, and the aftercare is where you check in with each other after it's happened, and uh, basically you sort of spend some time checking in, cuddling, whatever, until you're ready to sort of shift back into reality. So that's, um, yeah, I think that, that that's sort of the, the bird's eye view of, of what, what we're talking about when we say safe and responsible BDSM or risk-aware consensual kink. Um, it's it's right. in that sort of framework. How did you first begin exploring? Did you have the same experience of kind of being overwhelmed by all there is to know, but then didn't just didn't really like the information that you were finding? Yeah, I, I definitely at a certain point in time was using the term sub to describe myself, but I had not done any kind of education because I found the world of it to be so off-putting from the outside and I felt um and like this is I mean you know th there's a certain strain of people that are totally fine with this but for me there were like certain aesthetic aspects of it that felt unwelcoming like as a bisexual woman and you know I'm queer and when I I see like a fet life listing for an event and it's like you know just hyper toxically masculine mm. and like really aggressive um or you know like the red and black color scheme of all these different websites yeah. and i just felt like unsafe and uncomfortable like i i've never thought my sexuality was somewhere that looked like you know like a website that has ads for penis enlargement on it just it has never been a vibe that i right. find sexy so like all of it what just sort of seemed to be organized in this way that it was like, oh, this is not welcoming to me. This is not for people like me. There's nothing for me here. So I was like, oh, I'm a sub, but I had not done any of this really crucial research or taken in any of this information. Um, and then, and then I found myself partnered with someone who was actually like a dom, like for real and had done a lot of education. He'd been practicing for a number of years and he was like, you need to go like do some Googling and I'll help you and we'll talk about it. And that sort of snowballed my like thirst for knowledge that has continued into this whole, this whole thing. Right. Yeah. So you explained with the explanation of kind of the basics of PDSM that mm -hmm. there's, you know, a negotiation, a scene, and then aftercare. Yes. So with 24 seven, are you kind of always in a scene or is it more like reality than that? I mean. Yeah, it's interesting because like, uh, like if you'd asked me that question a year ago, I would have been like, oh no, it's, it's reality. It's not a scene, but it's interesting how like, I, I do find that, that a scene, the definition of it can sort of um, broaden out because we live a life where all the time our 
roles are in play. He is the dom. I am the sub. We interact with each other from these sort of positions. But, um, you know, and it, it, that doesn't mean that I'm always tied up in leather or, you know, walking on a leash at his feet or, you know, um, asking for permission for everything I do every second of the day. It, it ends up being more that we're sort of um, encased in this structured agreement to treat each other a certain way and that way is with respect and, and dignity and um, I've been in relationships before you know vanilla relationships for example where there really was no um, there wasn't the same sort of infrastructure for boundaries um, like people just sort of in in order to express equality in vanilla relationships I think sometimes people think they should just act however they want at any time and it's like well that's my right um, you know, and sometimes that can get into really mess messy territory, like name calling or raising your voices at each other if you're having an argument. And and with my partner, because we've really emphasized boundaries um, and negotiation and safe words, I know that it's things are never going to go to a place like that. So, in a way, yeah, it is always a scene, but in a, a scene in a way where it's like not having to do with um, you know getting spanked every second of every waking moment of my life. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right. How did you start to discover your submissive side? Did you just, were you in vanilla relationships and then were just kind of realizing that it wasn't working for you or that something was amiss? Yeah, I think uh, it came about kind of intuitively. I, I found myself just sort of asking for stuff with partners. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't stuff that these people had like, nobody had gone to like a spanking clinic at their local sex positive feminist, you know, bookstore. Like they, right. <laughs> um, they, it's like people were just like, okay, let's just try it out. And um, there was a lot of that. And a lot of, um, I think a lot of that wrapped up in my own like, very turbulent early to mid 20s like weird self-image stuff where I was like oh I'm a bad girl and I'm gonna get smacked around and that was Ooh. sort of the narrative of like a lot of my early sex sexual exploration and then um as it cohered more into like a formal submission um context um I found that it, it instead of what I thought it was of ooh I'm bad and I'm edgy and blah 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 um it, it the more and more that I've been in this dynamic with my current dom where um I'm sort of thought of as as being good for wanting the things that I want I I've found that I really enjoy that I really enjoy sort of the wholesomeness of like doing good and meeting expectations and like making gestures of, of thoughtfulness and that all comes from you know sort of being a perfectionist a student <laughs> brown dozing child and now that's like fully in, come into my adult life but yeah um it's 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 interesting how it flipped like that and I hear those stories from a lot of people where they think like they get into things and they've sort of assigned meaning to physical sensations like they're like oh I want this so that makes me a pervert and it's like if that's fun for you to think it by all means, like continue to think like, ooh, I'm dirty and bad and I'm gross and whatever. Right. But it's also like physical sensations don't have inherent meaning tied to them that way. And you can change the meaning if you want to change it. You know, it's a uh, yeah. Yeah. Long way of saying, you know, <laughs> just do what you want to do. <laughs> right. And 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 to your point before about, you know, the eating ass mm -hmm. 20 years ago, whatever, I mean, 
probably everybody's current sexual acts. I mean, I won't say everybody, but many people's sexual acts or the way we exist in the world was different and, and would probably have been considered much more kinky, um, Mm -hmm. than compared to 20 years ago. Right. Right. And I think it really is subjective. Totally. And it, I mean, I'm thinking that the name of your podcast, um, I don't know if Sex in the City, obviously, I'm like a huge fan. And they had an episode <laughs> where they talked about eating ass and everyone was just completely horrified. And That's like, like my favorite scene. I love, I love that scene. Well, and then Charlotte says that she does it to Trey and it's yes. like... Yeah, so everybody needs to get with the program. Who is like, who is like the known, you know, the known one, and she was just like, I would never reciprocate. And Charlie, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's so good. I'm like a massive Uh, in the city. It's an iconic scene. I mean, talk about changing sexual standards. Like, I grew up on that show. That was my first exposure to any kind of like sex, anything. And they, for example, their bisexual episode is thought of as like the most problematic representation of bisexuality, like in history. And that's the first exposure I had. And I'm like, okay, I guess I can like, you know, be Alanis Morissette at a smoky party and be thought of as really weird. That's my future. That's what I, that's what I have to look I know, for. Carrie's um, infamous line of, I think bisexuality is just, you know, a layover on the way to gay town. Or yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, good to know. Thank you. I'm 12 and I will just internalize this for the rest and of my life. And now I'm scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so what are some... I know you have this on your Instagram, but, but mm. what are some like resources or some 101 reading that you think that folks maybe who are not experienced or who want to maybe dip their toe in would be beneficial? What are some resources aside yeah. from, you know, maybe your Instagram being one? <laughs> my Instagram is great. Thank you. Subscribe <laughs> to my Patreon. No, um, I, in addition to that, I mean, like Instagram can be really, really wonderful for like nuance and finding representations that make you feel comfortable and welcome. Like if you yeah. follow certain leather work accounts and you see photographs of people that look like you in bondage, it's like, oh, okay, there's space for me. Um, But what I would say is to sort of like, as you're dipping your toe in, um, don't be fearful of taking in too much information because um, there's really no, it's all about harm reduction, you know, so like the more information you have, the better equipped you are to dip your toe in. So I would say a really, really great starting place, universal for everybody, no matter how interested or not interested you are. Um, is the new topping book and the new bottoming book by um, Dossie Easton and and that uh, those two um, and she has a writing partner whose name is escaping me right now but those two um, books are uh, really great surveys of of safety and responsible communication risk awareness and that kind of stuff and then they both um, I believe both authors are switches so they've played both roles and they can kind of speak intelligently to the emotional side of of both things and they can talk about what's what goes wrong and and it's just good to sort of try this out and then see how it makes you feel and and then you can sort of start to get like a better idea of what to even ask for once it's you in the scene and not just reading about the scene um but yeah new topping book new bottoming book both really good did they also write the ethical slut they did well one of them did oh Dossie Dossie. Did. Yes. Yeah. yes 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 okay yeah, because I'm that name reminded me. Um, mm-hmm. So, what is BDSM versus a dom and sub relationship? Is there a difference? Yeah, there is. Um, so DS, um, which is encompassed in the BDSM umbrella, uh, DS 
dom sub refers to um, negotiated power exchange uh, between consenting equals. So to break that down, dom sub play happens when two people who respect each other and think of each other as you know, legitimate, cool human beings then decide, um, hey, you're going to be submissive. You're going to take orders from me, the top or, you know, the dom um, or whatever. So people choose prescribed power roles and then begin to play them after they've consented and negotiated what that will look like. Um, and sometimes BDSM play happens without these roles at all. So like the person who is giving sensation to another person of any kind, whether it's, you know, wax play or tying them up. There doesn't have to be a power role associated with the person giving sensation, but if there is, um, that person is, is called a dom. Uh, mm. and, and then, or, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of nuance here, but in a very, very broad terms, if you're used to like looking in at a scene from outside the window and you see one person spanking the other, the odds are probably that if there are power roles, the person giving the spanking is the dom and the person receiving is the sub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, a dom-sub dynamic is under the term or is is one of the things under the BDSM umbrella that a person mm -hmm. could, could engage in. And there are yeah. many things under the category of BDSM that would be, that is different than a dom and sub relationship. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, it's, it's basically that going back to that idea about sensation, not having a meaning, you know, um, mm. there's a lot of sensation under the BDSM umbrella that, you know, I think society assumes has to do with power exchange, but it's whether it is, has to do with power exchange is ultimately a matter of consent to the people doing it. So if you want to say, Hey, we're not doing any kind of ordering around. We're not doing anything psychological. You're just pouring some wax on me. That is under the BDSM umbrella, but it's not under the DS uh, sort of subcategory. Mm, I understand. I understand. Mm -hmm. So you also, would you say, engage in psychological dom sub stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of most of Dom sub stuff ultimately is psychological once you sort of make that distinction between sensation and power. Um, because, uh, yeah, power exchange is all about um, sort of, uh, I think that the, the, the biggest benefit of submission that I can describe is that it relieves you of um, the responsibility to make decisions um, in, in a scene. And you know, when there's a, there's sort of this stereotype that like people want to be in, in, in the bedroom, they want to be the thing that they're not in life. So, you know, you see the, like on TV, like, you know, the big powerful CEO wants to be a sub and get stepped on and whatever. Um, and, and it can be ask you about that. <laughs> totally. And it can be the same for like hardcore, you know, millennial feminists that are like, I'm, empowered mm -hmm. this that and the other we've all gotten into giant fights with our boomer dads at thanksgiving about this that, and the other thing but like in submission for me like allows me to sort of take that hat off and spend some time sort of recharging in a space where i'm not responsible for showing up in this way that the world and this the wave of girl boss feminism that we're in expects me to be this very specific type of girl and um and instead you know be um you know a little slobbering smooth-brained baby for a while which is like right it's choice and, and you don't have to worry about anything you know just mm -hmm. only your pleasure in that moment or that the moment mm-hmm mm -hmm. and so, yeah it's, it's good for us <laughs> yeah so so does that stereotype I mean I don't know if you know the research or anything but mm -hmm. 
is it, is that why, is that one of the, I mean, you said one of the benefits, but is it kind of proven that like many people that have, are in high stress situations frequently or during the day or during their job or whatever it is, do they often find comfort in submission? Um, I know that formalized research on sexuality is drastically underfunded and unavailable, but from, <laughs> from my anecdotal, like, exposure to it and and the reading that I've done that like that can be a very common thing that you you by virtue of being a certain thing during the day you want to be a different thing at night or 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 alternatively you can think about it like you know people eroticize the forbidden so when you have invested a lot of energy and social capital into being a specific type of person that everyone perceives you as when you are have an idea of what you're not supposed to be that thing can become obviously so eroticized right like oh that i can't do that like but what if i did so there's a lot of that i think in bdsm for people to like find that thing that they all the time subconsciously are like don't be that don't be that don't be that and then and then you can and it's like woo (laughs) right right and it feels really good yeah yeah or even on the other side of the coin you know when with if, if if someone is has a role at work that doesn't, that is not necessarily one of power or that Mm -hmm. does feel silenced in, in other areas of their life. Being a dom in the bedroom or in a, in a PDSM relationship could be really freeing. And and totally. So that, yeah. It's a sense of control where you wouldn't, where, you know, people who have a lot of uncertainty in their lives, it can be a really great way of adding this sort of sense of structure and self um, determination where you wouldn't have had it. Yeah. So talk to me about, you know, staying and healing BDSM. What mm-hmm. is responsible BDSM? Because I have read, you know, in my research, I was on Pet Life for a brief time. And, and I'm again, so sorry. I, I had a similar <laughs> experience. I went on and I was like, is this like the hot topic website? Like, what is this? It, it's and, shocking. Yeah. And, and, and it was like, you know, the, the red and black, you know, it's uh-huh. like class. Yeah. So, so, I think my fear, you know, or someone that is inexperienced, my, you know, initial fear would be to getting involved with someone who pretended that they were responsible, but maybe weren't. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, finding play partners who are responsible and understand the dynamics at play and understand this stuff. So, so what are, you know, what are the basic things that I should be looking for as a person that is trying to experiment, but doesn't really, but is unsure about how to choose a play partner? Yeah, there's a lot of talk um, in BDSM communities about fake doms um, Mm. as being this sort of scourge that you run into when you're single or or you're not single and you're looking. Um, And these are people who um, are like, hey, I'm a dom, I want to choke you, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, hey, so uh, how are we going to negotiate this? And what's your experience? And blah, blah, blah. And they're like, don't ask me about my experience. Fuck you. Like that. Right, sorry, like, I swore, I swore on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's sort of, sort of like this, this overarching term that's been created for these people that sort of like have, have this sort of auxiliary, like tangential awareness of BDSM from porn and then come onto the dating apps, like saying I'm a dom, meaning like I, 
like to be controlling in bed, but I don't have any awareness of anything else that that means. Right. So like, <laughs> right. Those it's like, are, are you there. a dom or are you an abuser? I'm confused. You know yeah. I mean? They, they, they think that it's like a, a, a cool term for uh, the bullshit they were already doing. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, right. When in reality, the defining feature of a true dom or good sub is, is empathy and understanding the other person's role and just sort of being able to talk about things. Um, so when you're, when you're out and you're looking, um, it, the difference between a fake dom and a good partner can be really obvious like that, but it can also sort of come down to chemistry. So like, ultimately, like you do your research, you, you have a sort of a sense of like, Hey, these are things I might be curious about. These are things I absolutely won't do. And, and, you know, you come into an interaction with a new person and you should both be able to really openly talk about the sex talk about it not not worth sexting but be like hey what is your experience level what do you like about this have how how long have you been doing it etc cetera, etc cetera. and and then the chemistry comes in where it's like is it easy for you and that person to collaboratively and respectfully have this sort of meta conversation about the sexual encounter without anybody freaking out which is a high bar to clear actually i think when you're on the apps like it's really uncommon to find somebody who won't be like what are you talking about or like send you a picture of their genitals in response right. to trying to you know so that's like that's where it starts so it's ultimately just like this basic chemistry and feeling safe and reciprocal having a conversation about what might happen without it turning into something weird can i yeah. ask you a personal question please <laughs> <laughs> so with your partner uh-huh when when you met was it kind of what we think of as the typical date was it coffee and then all of a sudden you're like okay these are my boundaries this is the negotiation or was it was there even a getting to know each other part kind of thing yeah so he it's it was weird what happened with us is weird and it was not by the book at all but what what he he as a dom normally would have done was like over dm on a dating app be like hey this is what i'm into you know what's your experience what do you like blah 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 have this sort of, sort of meta conversation but um, I, being um, an extremely loquacious Gemini, came at him right out the gate and like sort of destabilized the whole conversation by like, I was like asking him a bunch of questions and it wasn't in his bio that he was a dom at all. And it wasn't in my bio that I was a sub at all. There was no information on either of us. And this was on Tinder um, back when that was more of a thing. Right. And, um, and we went out for a date and we had an entire date where it was just like, here's a guy and I'm a girl and there's no like BDSM anything. And then what ended up happening, this is, this is during a chaotic time in my life, folks, and I wouldn't recommend that anybody approach anything this way, but I, uh, I, I we were you know, making out and I'm like, Hey, spank me, you know, cause that was my move back then of just being like, Hey, <laughs> coming right, out right. of nowhere. Probably I was the unsafe partner in that situation. But <laughs> then he, he, he went, actually, um, I'm a dom. And if you're going to ask me to spank you, you need to do it properly. And I was like, <laughs> Wait, <laughs> wow. sure that so you didn't even, you both didn't even know that no information. Other- it was fucking nuts. I mean, I can't still can't yeah. believe that that happened. It was very kismet weird. Um, yeah. And so when people are like, how did you find your dom? Did you do it in a responsible, normal way? And it's like, I, I did it in the most chaotic way, but it's still, but I recommend <laughs> this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Still recommend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, then, then there was like a conversation where he was like, you know, we need, to, you need to choose the means of address that you're comfortable with for me and, you know, give me your, your limits. And we need to talk about, 
protocol and this, that, and the other. And the conversation sort of then began to happen like over drinks about like, okay, you know, over successive dates of like how, how is this going to happen and um, what's it going to look like and, and whatnot. So um, yeah, uh, <laughs> that would have happened a lot earlier if I hadn't, you know, come out the gate with a bunch of witty, like pickup lines. Um, <laughs> well, good thing you did, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> then I got this whole kismity experience. And I also think like at that time I would have been if somebody had been like, Hey, I'm a Dom, let's meet up. I would have been terrified. So like, the- <laughs> Agreed. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's it a fine a- line. Yeah, exactly. Because there is a certain line with being forward without also being too much too soon, I guess, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, that's such a personal thing to sort of sort out for yourself. It's like, well, how soon should I disclose? And it's like, well, how important is it to you and, and um, you know, how much emotional labor are you willing to sink into this interaction with this person before you, you know, lay down the law? But I would say somewhere between before the first date and before you get engaged would be a good time to, <laughs> to roll out the kinks. <laughs> so with your previous partners where things didn't work out or your needs weren't getting met, mm-hmm. did, were there bad experiences where you disclosed kind of what, you were looking for in a relationship in terms of BDSM and kink and then they just they tried and they just weren't willing to did it just not match yeah I I definitely had one partner who um was up for doing the stuff um but was very research averse like he um would not do any kind of legwork to understand anything of his own volition or if I forced him or sent him a link or whatever just like like I can do, uh, I'm a man, I can do sex, you know, it was like, uh, okay. Um, so that partner, um, I had a lot of experiences where he like just wouldn't do the legwork, but was like totally willing to do the stuff to me. And weirdly, like we would have these, you know, encounters where there would be like degradation talk happening or, you know, spanking or whatever. And this sort of play would happen and then there would be no aftercare afterwards. And so mm. we would just sort of abruptly part ways because it was sort of a friends with benefits thing. So it's like, oh, you can't cuddle each other. You can't touch. You can't check in. Like that would be too emotional. So he would just sort of bounce. And then I would literally be left like with an, a god awful like stomach ache just lying in bed. And I'd be like, oh, it's weird. I just sort of get a stomach ache every time he leaves. And then I think it took me until becoming a sub in a formalized way to realize, oh no, that was like your, your bot, like your polyvagal shit saying like, you can't just be left in a heap after somebody tells you that you're like a dirty, filthy slut and hits you. And then they walk out the door. Like that is not how this is supposed to go. Um, but yeah, in vanilla culture, the idea of cuddling someone and telling them like, thank you, you know, is so uh, right, heavy. That, that you're like, about to get married. Right. Yeah. Which is like, I'm sorry, you can like be inside of someone, but you can't be like, hey, how are you doing? Like, I just, right. <laughs> It's hard to process the farther in I get to this whole aftercare BDSM structure thing. It's like, wait, wait a second. Why was that ever okay? <laughs> so then did that after that experience that became maybe a negotiation for you in the sense that even if you weren't in a formal relationship, if they were a partner, you wanted aftercare, regardless if it was a friends with benefits situation. Yeah, well, that that for any kind of safe and responsible BDSM, whether it's play partners, you know, friends with benefits, anything, there needs to be aftercare or it's not responsible. So, um, you know, I've, I've given people tips on like, you know, hey, if we're going to play with this stuff, um, I need us to lie in bed next to each other for 20 minutes and chat after. Um, and it doesn't have to be super gushy and romantic. Like people, um, uh, one that I think is really great for people who are friends with benefits is to like lie down and watch a bunch of like 
nostalgic music videos together and just like sort of get your brain like out and like relaxed and signal safety to your body and like have fun a little bit before it's like you're just on to the next thing um because yeah it, it can really charge and flood your nervous system with like a lot of I mean the endorphins and the adrenaline um that come from playing with this stuff uh can trigger a thing called subspace which is um a lot like sort of like a runner's high or like some you know how you feel after yoga where you're in this altered mental state because of everything that's been happening to your body um and then if you're just sort of crash after that you might end up sort of sad <laughs> so um which is called sub drop um so the, the aftercare is sort of to just prevent against that kind of crash is that why a lot of people or i shouldn't say a lot but but people who maybe have experienced sexual trauma or trauma in general sometimes seek out BDSM because in a way it teaches with proper aftercare and you know uh responsible BDSM it can kind of reteach the body that hey this happened and it's okay you're not going to get hurt this is a closed in space whereas before maybe depending on the type of trauma your body is always on higher alert because it, it always has to be on the alert. And so with this practice, it can kind of teach the body or reteach the body, like how to maybe encapsulate that. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. hundred exact. Yes. Everything. All, all of that. Um, it, it, the way that, um, BDSM works, um, actually, which, I've talked about at length with my therapist and other therapists is that if practiced responsibly and thoughtfully, it can be really similar to exposure therapy where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have a little taste of the thing that scares you in this sort of safe and consensual environment. And then you can ramp it up, ramp it up, ramp it up, which is why a lot of people, um, and they all think that they're the only one, but it's actually extremely common. A lot of people who have experienced um, sexual assault or sexual trauma, like how, like to or have this fantasy of trying um, consensual non-consent, which is what we call it in BDSM, which um, is called a rape fantasy elsewhere. Mm. But ultimately, because it's not, it's not really rape. It's, it's someone you have consented to, you know, playing out this fantasy situation. And a lot of people have written me and been like, I'm a survivor and I want this thing. What the fuck? Um, and, and, um, Right. The, something that I like to say about it is that kink can teach us to reimagine non-consensual trauma in consensual circumstances. So mm-hmm. take something that happened in a way that you had no control over and bring it into this place where you have total control and, and it changes the way that that thing is sort of filed in your, in your body and in your memory. And another example of this, which I can't talk eloquently on it, but a lot of other people do is, is race play where people have had these experiences of micro or macro aggressions out in the world and severe trauma over time and then find that they want to bring that into this consensual environment. So, you know, there's a lot of different types of marginalization that end up becoming sort of center stage in the scene. And people are like, what is going on with me? And it's like, actually, it <laughs> makes a lot of sense that you want to have a sense of control over something that made you feel out of control. Right. Um, right. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a way to process things. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's similar or it could be similar to going to therapy or doing, you know, I like the comparison of exposure therapy, especially mm-hmm. in terms of race and the sexual assault stuff is is really interesting because it is a way to maybe mentally and physically take control of a situation that you felt not 
didn't, you didn't have any control over previously. Totally. Yeah. And just have, and sort of bring in this, um, and, and, and it's funny because like then when you, um, maybe encounter, um, triggers out in the world again, after you've sort of done this processing, I, I, for me personally, they come in in a different way, you know, cause I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a sexual assault survivor and I, you know, have, um, recontextualize a lot of different things that I've gone through in, in BDSM context. And so I find that formerly things that would trigger me don't have the same power because I don't, you know, I've sort of changed the narrative um, for myself, but that, you know, that's not universal for everybody, but it's definitely possible with, with this sort of slow, thoughtful exploration. Um, if you do it in the right sort yeah. of considered way. Yeah. And so was your negotiation exactly the same way that the contract scene was done in the Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he flew me on his helicopter to a remote city in Georgia and ordered Bombay Sapphire for us to drink. Uh, so th- that one scene really bothers me. He's like, he's like a trillionaire or whatever. And then he comes into a, like, into a bar and he's like, Hendrix. And if you don't have Hendrix, Bombay Sapphire. It's like, what is going on? They're like taking crazy pills. Um, hey, I don't uh, remember that but I do remember when he shows up in Georgia and it's like construed as romantic and it's like no actually he's off the walls he's off this is not okay like nothing literally everything he does everything he says all of the tools that he has and the way that he uses them and just like yeah just bleach your mind of all of that because nothing is accurate about it um yeah, I mean, the the thing that I have to complain about with that movie in a sincere way, though, is that, like, it portrays BDSM as, like, the sub doesn't really want to do it, and the dom yeah. is, like, stalking them and forcing them into doing it, and it's, like, no, 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 <laughs> like, I also don't like that she's a virgin in the beginning. It's, like, a weird, you know, it's just, like, yeah. it, 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 it's just, it plays into, kind of, I think, these, she's a kept woman until Mm -hmm. she meets him and then she turns into it kind of just walks the if you will like the slutty tightrope of like don't be a slut with anybody else but be a huge slut with me you know what I mean it's like it just doesn't it's not real you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so so okay so so negotiation practices let's say you know (laughs) so so negotiation 101 is it is it better like do you write it do you go to coffee like how is it kind of how do you express your needs in a way that feels good for you which I know differs for everybody but I mean you know yeah totally differs for everybody but um I would say that uh negotiation is an ongoing process um and should happen before every scene for a while until you know somebody Mm -hmm. really well um so what I say is a really good um practice is to um take uh, take out your phone, um, make a list in your notes app or whatever of your things that you're interested in, um, your uh, things that you know that you like, first of all, things that you're curious about or interested in trying, um, and then your soft limits and your hard limits. So hard limits, self-explanatory. It's like something that's like, I will never, ever, ever do that. And for a lot of people, it's stuff like scat play or blood or fire or, you know, things like this, where it's just like, I know that that's off the table. Don't even talk about it. Um, And then soft limits are um, things that in the right circumstances, you would be open to it, but like, it should be treated really like with kid gloves very gently. Like, for example, 
anal is like a classic soft limit for some people where they won't do it on the first date, but maybe they'll do it like when they're more comfortable or they have more time or, Mm. you know, whatever. So um, have that list handy to the best of your ability that you're able to put it together. And um, I think a really like smart thing to do is just give that note to the person that you're going to be playing with and be like, hey, save this in my contact in your phone. And then that person like has it always. But um, Mm. it can be really good to use that document as a starting place to be like, okay, so what are you interested in about over the knee spanking? Or why is it that you're not wanting to do a certain type of bondage or whatever? And then the conversation that flows out of that becomes the negotiation. And and what Mm -hmm. the word negotiation sort of implies more that there's like a difference in opinion and um that could come out of um say you're the sub and you have a soft limit around ball gags for whatever reason and and the dom is like i always use a ball gag i love a ball gag i need to see a ball gag you know whatever and then you can sort of talk about the circumstances where you would be interested in maybe trying it out but um if you do have something on your hard limits it's not up for negotiation not up for like any kind of conversation it's like that is my hard limit we were not even talking about it just forget that it exists and anybody oh, that is pushing okay. you on the hard limits is flagging themselves as not safe because right, it's like, right. you know you can ask about them but i would say don't if somebody's like oh come on come on come on come on come on come on it's like no that is not right, right. the way that a responsible person handles um hearing about a hard limit so oh. yeah so that's yeah. so so the hard limit list is a way of like this stuff is not up for negotiation at all where the soft yeah. limits and the um the other sections of the of the list are like mm-hmm. wants, potentials, yeses. Yeah, like the um the soft limits, like in a perfect universe, like you would talk about them the first time. You'd say, like, hey, these are my soft limits. I'd be like, Oh, interesting. What drives that for you? And you could be like, I want to talk about it, or I don't want to talk about it. And then mm-hmm. um, and ideally, like if you want to budge on a soft limit, like you might want to be the one to bring it up like oh hey by the way you know anal let's do it um that would be better than like them being like what about this what about this you know so like yeah the limits are ideally to just sort of put things to the side that you don't want to have brought up uh or um or be pushed on or or that you just need some time to think about and and you know for me like when I was first subbing, there were things that made me feel really weird where I was like, Ooh, that, uh, I can't uh, like, I just have this big visceral reaction and those things would be on my soft limits list. And then over time, sort of the transgressiveness of that, like ew reaction to things made those things move from my soft limits to my like very, very into mm. let's do it list. So right. I would say like anything that gives you a strong reaction like that, just sort of keep an eye on it. Cause you know, these things sort of change when you learn that you're safe um, with somebody, but yeah, take it slow initially. Yeah. And, and say everything that's going to happen. That's my other huge thing is like, people are like, what, what about, what about the element of surprise? It's like, there should be no surprise the first couple times you're playing with this stuff. So it's like, <laughs> I'm going to put you over my knee. I'm going to spank you. You're going to do this when I spank you, then you're going to sit down that whatever, or like, as it's happening next, you're going to do this. Like, that's really essential because uh, yeah, there's no need for surprising when there's uh, when there's hitting and stuff <laughs> on the table. Right. Right. It's like, I'm not trying to be surprised. And, and, and no. well, well, and also I think it could contribute to maybe the, the subspace that we were talking about before mm-hmm. where for people that engage in these practices to free themselves of any responsibility, mm-hmm. knowing every single move that you're supposed to be doing is a way to not have to think about anything. 
thousand percent. Yes. Where, you know, like, okay, I'm supposed to blah, blah, blah. Like I'm, it becomes, I'm, it. I'm stepping here. I'm moving yes. here. like, that is a way to not have to even think of like where I put my foot, you know? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I'd say like a lot of people's reservations about sex and sex positivity normally is that there's this feeling of like, I want to like, be cool and seem sexy that sort of is an element of vanilla sex for me always it was like okay whatever I do next they might be judging me or I want to seem like cool and experienced and blah 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 and when you've been put in the role of sub where you're like tell me what to do you you're not having to make those little choices in between focusing on your pleasure and being embodied you're not like yanked out of it to be like how do I look how do I seem you're like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and that's all I need to think about so it can really help if you have that sort of tendency to like dissociate during sex for example um it sort of brings you back to your body in this way where you don't have to be like you know looking looking cool and awesome (laughs) right 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 absolutely Mm -hmm. so any other stuff about negotiation uh I mean, you know, what's funny is like, um, I will recommend, uh, we were just, we were just bashing FetLife, which it absolutely deserves to be bashed. There's a lot of awful stuff going on in FetLife, but when you make an account on FetLife, um, they give you, as you're making your profile, they give you an option to, to put, to sort all of these different fetishes into likes, dislike, you know, or it's, they call it into curious about soft limit, hard limit. Mm. And, and it can be really interesting to sort of take all these things at a completely egalitarian level and sort them like, do I like that? Or do I not like that? And sort of build this sort of custom sexuality. Um, You know, like for some people, it's like, in vanilla sex certain things are always on the menu and they have to be like kissing you know for example is something that's always on the menu and it has to be but what if you said kissing's a soft limit and I really want to be intimate with you especially during COVID you know kiss like it's more common to you know Mm. it's more dangerous to kiss somebody than it is to eat their ass at this point in time the way the virus is transmitted like what if kissing is a soft limit for you so you take all these things as equal and you sort them out into your categories and that can be a really helpful way of sort of doing yeah that project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And really figuring out what aspects of the acts that you're doing, you're actually into and what aspects of it, maybe you want to work on or change. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Like what, what, like if given the option, what do I actually like and respond to and versus what um, have I been told that I have to do every time? Right. Right. Or what's in what we think is inherently involved in the act of sex or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what about aftercare? So you mentioned, you know, watching old music videos and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but, but so how do I know if the aftercare that I'm receiving is good or like, what are some examples of aftercare? Um, I think the classic example of aftercare is for both people to, or both or all people, there's more than one, more than two people involved in sex sometimes, um, <laughs> all people to lie down uh, after just lie in bed and like hold each other in like a non-sexual way in a way that isn't like advancing towards something and just sort of gently, calmly just be like, how was that for you? And how do you feel? And, and then, yeah, I love the music video thing. Cause then it sort of gives you something very serotonin-y to like tap into and just be like, Oh, this is fun. And, you know, and get your mind onto something fun together. Um, I would say that like, the aftercare is a no phone zone. So like Mm. people need to be like tuned into each other and actually present. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's really, it's a really, it's a feeling thing. So if on a certain day you're like, 
eh, I don't think that cuddling is right for me. Maybe I need to take a bath by myself. Like that's also legit. Or it's like, maybe I need to take a walk. Maybe we need to like go to the grocery store, like whatever it is. Um, probably not nowadays that probably wouldn't calm anybody down, but like, you know, whatever it is that your nervous system is calling out for, that's what you should be doing. But it's good to have that sort of basic like line bed and cuddle thing as the starting place so that if you can't articulate what you need, it just goes there. But then if you find yourself craving something else, you'll, you'll learn more and more to pick up on those signals from yourself of like, what do I need? What, what needs to be happening right now? And, and to do it or tell your partner to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, you posted something about sexual shame regarding mm-hmm. your desires, which I assume, you know, we talked a little bit about this before about how, you know, for people that have survived sexual assault or for people that, you know, are into maybe stigmatized aspects of sexuality, which are, there's tons. I mean, everything about mm-hmm. it is. So how, how do you combat this, this shame around people's desire or your desires if you're wanting to explore, but you're scared because you don't want to indulge in those desires because you think they're wrong? Yeah. Uh, I think the the first place that that I start with shame um, is to ask yourself the question and ask it, really ask it, because sometimes our brain uh, has an answer that society implanted in you before you knew it was in there Mm. to certain questions. But ask the question, who is this hurting? Um, Because that's something I get, like, if you want to talk about shame, there's a lot of shame wrapped up in people who do age play, for example, which is... That was going to be my example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) it is the example because um, people are like, this is so screwed up essentially what if you don't know what i'm talking about age play is um for the the listeners uh it is um one partner um playing the pretending to be someone younger than they are um typically it's like somebody teenaged or you know a little younger than that and then and then there's like you know a smaller minority of of that minority that plays with diapers and you know fetishes you know around being a toddler breastfeeding that kind of stuff Mm. so people who do that stuff they're like very invested in like why you know and 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 this is bad and this is wrong and and there's a lot of people who look at that from the outside and they conflate it um with pedophilia and there and and so the age play community is left in this position of like hey i want this thing i'm an adult i want to do this thing with another adult and people from the outside who don't understand it are telling me that i'm a pedophile and, um, you know, we live in an, an extremely trigger happy, shamey society, um, whether you're on the left or the right, like American culture or whatever culture is like very invested in having consenting adults only do specific things off a certain list. Um, but when people are playing with age play, it's like, who, who is getting hurt? I, I, <laughs> the longer right. I spend doing this work, I don't see who's getting hurt by it. In fact, I see a really beneficial, beautiful, beneficial yeah. way to connect to like the kind of inner child work that we're all constantly talking about, like in the sort of therapeutic world of like, yeah, how do you connect with your inner child? How do you signal safety to your nervous system? Well, how did your nervous system learn that things weren't safe? It learned when shit happened to you when you were a tiny person. So like when you're an adult and you want to integrate that, that same trauma, like we were talking about before of like reintegrating, you know, feeling out of control, like, of course, mentally you would go to the time in your life when you were the most out of control. So like, Mm. to me, it makes perfect sense. But when people are first starting out with age play, they're like, 
so much, there's so much shame wrapped up in it. So it's again, it's like, who is it hurting? And it's like, well, it's not, it's not right. It's not, no, no, no. Who is it hurting? <laughs> it's like, you have to really dial down on that because if it's not hurting anybody, I think you have every right to do whatever it is um, that you want. Uh, totally. And then the other thing I'll say that I find really interesting is that, you know, from like research I've done in the psychology sort of world is that disgust and shame are both learned responses to um, inputs and they get tied up in our mind as we're developing um, and as our sexuality is developing. And so if we learned shame or disgust to begin with, like maybe there's something that you can do to unlearn it. Um, and, and instead of constantly reinforcing something that was non-consensually implanted into your brain by the culture, like for many of us, like the 90s sitcom culture of what relationships were, like, I don't want that shit in my brain forever. So like taking any steps you can to deprogram rather than like continue to feed into something non-consensual that you didn't ask to have as part of your uh, thing. So yeah, I, yeah. I, so I posted when I first started the podcast, I had posted an ad on Craigslist, you know, just if a, a general post just kind of saying like, Hey, if anybody has some experiences that they would like to share, you know, I listed, mm. you know, it was like a little ad and it was so funny because the, one of the, a person didn't, a person responded and didn't say that they wanted to come on the podcast, but they just had requested Hey, can you do an episode about people that want to be that do age play specifically mm. regarding wearing d- diapers and yeah. that kind of stuff? And it really made me, you know, to your point, get caught up with the question of why, you know, the meaning, yeah. the meaning that we put behind our preferences mm-hmm. and or the things that we want to try and like we, you know, the meaning that we, what does this mean if I'm into it? And it's like, mm-hmm. it probably, maybe it doesn't mean anything as long as you're <laughs> yeah. out there stealing babies. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a different conversation. And, and, yeah. but I just thought it was really funny because that, you know, the one question, it was like an anonymous question of being like, Hey, just, can you please do an episode about this? Clearly, yeah. you know, figure this out for me. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought, I, you know, and also I read this book, which the name of, I think it's called Modern Sexuality. The author is escaping me, but, but he was saying that, you know, when it comes to age play and mm-hmm. he even said, you know, pedophilia is a preference. It's a sexual preference. It's a sexual orientation mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. or, you know, acting out on a non-consenting person, that's when it mm-hmm. becomes problematic. But the fact that it's a sexual orientation or preference, you know, the preference in and of itself is not hurting anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a hard, you know, and, 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 and I, you know, it's, I read it a long time ago. I thought it was an interesting point. In yeah. The- it is. It, 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 pedophilia becomes a problem when it's acted upon. And yeah. And so like the fact that someone exists with a certain like internal world is not, a crime, you know, but like, yeah. yeah. But then then the point of the author was that, you know, when it's acted upon, that's when it becomes problematic because the person that it's, that is not consensual. Whereas, you know, with age play and stuff, it, Mm -hmm. it, it, to your point, it's two consenting people. Yeah. And I would contend that age play, um, is is not, 
yeah, it's not linked to pedophilia and that people, um, and not that that's what you're implying, but it's like really important to keep drawing the distinction that you're, you're interested in playing with an adult body that is doing an imaginary situation of something to do with something under 18. Like, mm. so like when people are like, oh, like my partner wants to do, you know, 15 year old virgin role play with me does that mean that he actually wants to be with 15 year olds and it's like not necessarily and in fact probably not because you know he's able to explicitly tell you an adult woman that that's what you know would be fun um you know so people are are, are so like trigger happy on that that they get really freaked out just by people someone being able to you know articulate that they want to do a certain kind of play. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's like, it, there is that thing, that fear of like, is this telling me something about someone that I'm ignoring? And I just think you have to just go back over and over to like how, how clearly obvious it is to that person and to you that you're both adults. Like this, it's between adults. And that's, that's what you just got to keep going back to at the end of the day. Like if there are other issues, uh, other warning signs, by all means, pay attention to those. But I, I would not say that it, is like definitely an indicator of a problem you know it's uh it is tricky though this stuff is hard like it's the same thing with like even like wanting to be spanked like just to take it down a notch from like the you know the more fringe stuff but like wanting to be physically in pain like that was pathologized in the dsm for in, up until like the last i don't know like fi like the last edition like they finally decided like okay maybe you're not sick and need to be committed if you want pain play in your sexuality um because we assign all of this meaning to stuff you know, and it's just like, what if my body, what if it feels good, you know, <laughs> and, and what if it's that simple, um, which is like, yeah, I don't know, we just live in a, in a culture that is incredibly hysterical about um, kink, when in reality, I think that this, the studies have shown that more people have kinks than they do just want to only do missionary and, you know, whatever else is not kinky, you know. Right, right, and I mean, yeah. the physical sensations that we fear, that we feel during certain acts, I mean, there are, when people are being assaulted, they can orgasm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're enjoying it by any Right. It's like that discordant arousal. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah. so, you know, and I think um, that was another question, a, a common question that came up was the, you know, the rape fantasy, quote unquote, mm -hmm. that, does that mean that my partner is a rapist? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it was very common um, because people were scared that, that that want to explore that meant something other than just the want to explore that scenario with a consenting adult. Yeah, I, I, I think that the Venn diagram between people who can um, articulate a rape fantasy to their partner and, and the people who are actual rapists, I don't think that overlaps very much. I think it's a slim yeah. overlap because, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think being, yeah, and again, like rape fantasy, like on its face, oh my God, it's about violating consent. But mm. then in execution, it's a lot more about um, being desirable to someone and, and being, um, them not being able to control how badly they want you. That, I think, is what is much more playing out in that ravishment, consensual, non-consent situation. It's just the same way with age play. It's not about age. It's about, um, like, very visually, externally, or in your words, like, symbolizing vulnerability and innocence, which all adults still have in them. Um, right. So it's like, whatever it is, like, if, if you're looking for a why, it is most likely not what some random person off the street would tell you it's about it's like if, if you're looking for it to be about something I would say like anything you want sexually is more about um 
those kinds of themes than about like crime. <laughs> right, right. So you're like, in- you're incredibly smart. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh my God. <laughs> I've placed uh, myself at a really specific cross section. Like if we were talking about space, you would be like, this girl's a bimbo and we need to stop. <laughs> oh, no, it, <laughs> no, my, I'm just like, oh my God. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but, but the argument of how can I be an empowered feminist and yes. submissive? Can these things coexist? you know, what does that look like? What is your response to that? Yeah. How, how can I do it? Yeah, no, I, I I remember saying that something exact sentence like that when I was first playing with these themes, like getting spanked and my hair pulled and whatever. And I was like, what does this mean? You know, like, am I a real feminist? And it's like, well, first of all, what's a real, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in a certain wave of feminism, yes, this would be a huge problem because like there was a wave of feminism that talked about uh, being um, in any kind of relationship is like a form of slavery. So we've moved beyond that first and second wave thing. And I think now more and more we are accepting as like part of the feminist praxis is that like any way that you as a woman choose to feel good and empowered that is feminist you know so we're, we've mm. gone back to like affirming the choices of mothers and all kinds of you know people that don't engage you know you don't have to be a man uh you know to be you know what I mean like there was sort of for a while there was this this like imperative to like dress up in a suit and go to work and that's the only way that you can be right respected but yeah I think the the real feminist thing about submission when you're doing it um, is ultimately as a sub, uh, the dom may be calling the shots, like they may have their hands on the steering wheel, but you always have your foot on the brakes. So the 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 not being in control is really an illusion that you have built consensually with the person you're playing with. So you do have control. You have a lot of control. And I'd contend you have more control as a sub in a BDSM scene than you do as just a girl off the street in a vanilla encounter because you've structured all of this um, consideration of yourself as a person rather than this sort of objectified construct that's being expected to go through these motions of this prescribed sex thing that everyone sort of expects in a vanilla way and and you're being like no here's me here are my limits here are my interests here's what I want to do with you let's go um so it, it sort of like takes off that like layer of prescribed I mean if you are in a heterosexual situation like that heteronormative like this is what the girl does during sex shit <laughs> it takes it off of you so you can just be a person which ultimately I think that's like the whole goal, right? Of like just being a person and not like. <laughs> yeah, right, right, really. It just, yeah. Being in person. And have you ever seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding? <laughs> I, of course. <laughs> Annually. <laughs> you know the scene where the mom is like, the man is the head, but the yes. man is the, is ne- the neck. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of is to your point of like, the sub is the, the neck. The sub is the neck. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> in that, you know, the negotiation and the play and everything really is, it's a conversation and it's not a demand and that the scene and the, and, and the experience is really, you know, the person, the sub is, is controlling it, you know, because yeah. nothing happens in, I mean, in, in responsible BDSM, nothing happens without consent. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and even if you're not making the choices, you can always stop it or change the flow or whatever. Um, so yeah, this sort of, this concept that people have of BDSM as being like, you know, 50 shoes of gray where some, uh, freak is exercising his will on this unsuspecting sub. It's like, no, like that, you know, I don't think that anybody who enjoys dominance and does it well has any interest in doing things to somebody that they don't like. So, you know, even, even the most hardcore sadists, uh, enjoy inflicting pain because the sub or the receiving partner wants pain. Like they're giving someone something they want. So it's never about like forcing someone to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right. So, so, so your response would be that being an empowered feminist is completely possible when being a submissive, because ultimately being empowered means being able to consensually make choices in Mm -hmm. whatever kinds of relationships you find yourself in. And that's what really being a feminist is. It's not. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think more so like being objectified um, has a lot more to do with not being seen than um, being dominated. So, Mm -hmm. you know, submission brings you into a situation where even if you are being objectified, it's consensual and negotiated rather than. And you're being seen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's like, Hey, this is this specific person's experience and you know, no, no Dom could, could dominate two subs exactly the same way because each person is is unique so it sort of shuts down that script running that happens in vanilla sex not to like shit on vanilla sex there's all kinds of great stuff in vanilla sex but that sort of like prescriptive thing that just like happens no matter who whatever uh yeah that's that's the thing i have a problem with (laughs) right 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 so last so final question um Mm -hmm. what have you learned about yourself and just in general from when you first started experimenting versus now, you know, like what would you tell your younger self? Yeah. Um, that poor girl. She's, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, I think that I would, um, say that submission to me at the time seemed like letting go of control in a way that was really scary. Um, but what it actually has ended up being is this like really kind of almost like mystical like alchemy of taking things that had a lot of power over me and instead saying I have power over them. You know, like the consensual non-consent is like a really classic example of like something that really scared me or or um experiencing jealousy about my my partner or thoughts that my partner might leave me for someone else and now I found myself with like a really thriving cucking fetish where I want to enact a safe experience of him pretending that he's leaving me for someone else Mm. so like these things that um used to have a lot of power over over my sexuality over my psyche in general um I've found that with the structure of BDSM it's it you know it's not so easy as just like dialing it into the BDSM computer and then you're not afraid of it anymore but there is this framework of like taking in like a fear and changing it into something else that like had I known that that was what I was going down the road towards I I think that I would have gone down the road a little sooner and and more (laughs) with more gusto than than you know being so afraid yeah 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 Wow. Thank you so much, Lena. This was amazing. Oh my God. Thank you. This is so fun. This is amazing. Have you been doing a lot of podcasts? I saw that you went on Dan Savages. That's awesome. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So I did that and I've done a couple other ones um, here and there, but this is the first one where I got to like go hardcore serious. <laughs> so oh, I'm really, really grateful for that opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what do you mean? Like, like I mean, about- like, 
I, I think I always managed to like twist it into like psych- more psychological thematic stuff. But like, I, I know that like this one, I've like had a chance to be like the psychology, which is like, has become why I'm into this. Cause like, if people are like, how do you do like wax play safely? I'm like, no, 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 no. let's talk about the, the mental stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean that, yeah. Cause that's what I'm trying to, I mean, that's the whole intention of, you know, what I'm doing is kind of mm-hmm. I'm therapist and, and, and just kind of like, helping people just, just understanding that like this stuff is not pathological, you know, like, like, like like none of like nothing is pathological unless it's like murder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like like that's being extreme, but, but, but Mm -hmm. like this idea that like, you know, the meaning thing, that's why I like harped on that just because like exactly, like that's exactly how I feel of just like meaning that we put to things is is what's problematic at times yeah. and make us you know feel these types of ways that like are unnecessary at times mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and it's damaging uh, to people like that want to just feel control yeah. yeah remind me of your just say your patreon and your um your instagram or whatever however you want people to be able to find your your work and stuff Yes. Okay. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at ask a sub, um, at same on Twitter. And then if you want to read long form advice, you can subscribe to my Patreon. Um, it starts at $5 a month and that's patreon.com slash ask a sub. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was, this was really amazing. Um, oh my God. Thank you. This is yeah. so good. Yeah. Any, anytime I get to talk about uh, Charlotte York eating ass, it's a, it's a true <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> I mean, because sometimes I feel like, um, people are against sex in the city just because it's very like heteronormative white, you know what I mean? But like, I also grew up on sex in the city. Like it was my first exposure to it's a foundational text. It's, it's it really, crucial. <laughs> so when you said that scene, that's like one of my all time favorites, just because it's, it's, it's hysterical. Yeah. Oh, it's a top so. scene. My God. <laughs> As always, thank you so much for listening. Please follow me on Instagram at psychandthecitybk. You can email me psychandthecitybk at gmail.com. Please find Lena's page on Instagram. It's incredible. At askasub. Also, she's on Twitter at askasub. And her Patreon, she said before. And please share the podcast with just one person. It's really, really helpful. Bye.